Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Caught Offside with Andrew Gundling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Just outside of New York City, from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this podcast. I think there's a lot of diversity, that old, old ship. A lot of diversity, a lot of different things happening in the pod. I think you've done a brilliant job. You've, uh, well, let's put it this way. You've just decided you're the mailbag man now. Um, you went well, on Reddit. I mean, someone's got to do it. You haven't included a mailbag in like two months. So I, what am I supposed uh, if, to do? If you notice the pod lengths in just the last two weeks, you'll see there's not much space for the comment of the ordinary man. And I'm glad that you. Wow. Taken for, uh, I'm audience. You heard it. He said those words. I would bounce almost anything from these rundowns. If you told me I've got a mailbag today. What are you kidding me? There's not much space for the ordinary man. You are sick. No, that. I'm glad you've finally taken up for the for the working classes. Um, I will say one of one of, from your salubrious mansion in Westchester. I'll tell you one um one element has really annoyed me. We'll get to it, but it's it's me delving into the past. You know, sometimes I like I love a bit of revisionism in, in football. It can lead to interesting debates, but yeah. sometimes uh, past achievements by teams are treated in such a blasé fashion that I am irked, Andrew. Irked. Okay. Yeah. Also, um, bit of a bit of a bit of a funny tummy this morning. I had um Conor McGregor stout last night. I had three cans of it. Um, just relaxing. It was my dessert. Um, and it actually it's tasted good. It's pretty good. But um, yeah, I was feeling it a bit this morning. Diarrhea is what you're saying. And <laughs> no, 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 no. The stool was. It was firm enough, just a bit, you know, you know, that crusty feeling when you've had, it's not really a full hangover, but it's just, you know, it might be age as well. I am decrepit, you know, so. Well, that was important. Um, Let's see. Yeah, it is going to be a great pod. We got a lot of Champions League stuff. It's uh, we talked the other day about Emma Hayes and her expected appointment for the U.S. women. Um, So we're going to have on Theo Lloyd Hughes, who covers 
uh, all things women's soccer here in the U.S. to talk both about that and the NWSL final, which is coming up this weekend. He'll join us in the second half of the pod. Also there, uh, eventful night, uh, a couple nights in MLS, a couple of the games I wanted to profile as the union marched through on the revs, although that's only part of it. Omar Gonzalez spoke afterwards and had a lot of things to say. We're going to break down some of those comments. Um, still fallout, it seems, from Tottenham and Chelsea from one of the from one of the the bonkers games of the season, seems like Tottenham have been involved involved in probably the two wildest games of the year so far, with the Liverpool one and then this Chelsea one. So there were a couple couple final notes on that that I did want to mention as the dust has settled. So there's a lot, like JJ said, a couple mailbag related things as well. Some sprinkled into the Tottenham section, some sprinkled later into the podcast. But you won't want to miss it because um, the animals are they're doing fine work, and uh, and, and I want to show them the respect that they deserve. But let's start, JJ, with, of course, the Champions League. We are now through four match days of the last ever group stage. And um, it's starting to feel real. The end is nigh. As, is it? As... I, I I think this, this group stage is kind of, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I usually enjoy it a lot more. Oh, yeah. Come on, say it. And I know, I know people. No, 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 no. You're I'm excited not, for the new format, aren't you? Oh no, I'm not. No, there's no excitement. No, I just, I just think it's been. Um, there's, look, actually, wh- why am I saying anything? We're going to talk about it. So yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So I've broken this down into a few sections because we're kind of we're getting near the end of it, and so a lot of the the knockout stage teams that are going to make it through, it, it's starting to take shape. Um, so I've broken this into three sections, and we'll start with the first one, JJ, which is up to this point, the teams that we're most impressed by with two games to go in the group stage. Uh, I have a few here. Um, I don't know if you want to yeah. throw any out there first. Do you, want, do you want me just to jump in first and then and then you you respond? Um, sure, yeah. Like, there's no point going in massive depth on Bayern Munich, but they look bloody good. They look very, very good. Um, and they are absolutely uh, four wins from four clean in that group that they're in. I would say on the flip side of their classicer or the, their um, their pumping game, and as I like to call it, right. Dortmund's response to beat Newcastle, I thought was excellent. And I think Dortmund have been excellent in, in the Champions League in terms of the predator in their group was was Newcastle. They were the one that was going to um, was going to hurt Dortmund. They were the one who was going to come in and usurp Dortmund. And Dortmund have beaten them home and away uh, the second goal last night, lovely breakaway goal with Julian Brandt, was absolutely brilliant. Finished with his left foot, Andrew. I found an article from Bundesliga from six years ago when he was at Leverkusen saying how uh, he, his main, uh, one of his main aims was to improve the quality of his left foot. Right-footed player could easily have tried to open up his body and square it into the far corner. Great finish with his left foot. Uh, and, then, and then the other team for me is Real Sociedad. Oh, whoa, hold on, Ooh. hold on. Well, I, I mean, you're... You're rolling through things here, and and we may as well go with these two teams that you said first, because I, I do have stuff right. on both of them before you keep going. In, okay. I guess what we can refer to as the Bundesliga portion of our Champions League coverage. So I'll go through them item by item. The, the first one you said was Bayern, who is also one of the teams that I felt that way about. I, I wanted to just say a quick thing on Kane, um, because I do feel like so he scored in the 80th and the 86th, uh, four yeah. Champions League goals for him now in four games. 18 goals in all. It's so far it's, this season. It's crazy. And so I hate to say this, but it feels like it does feel like he's he's validating his move to Bayern. And by that I mean Why did it need validation really? I, well, I yes. See that that's the point. But but I I want to agree with you. He was playing for my club. 
I've been screaming from a mountain along with all these other Tottenham fans. He's the best player we've seen play for them in God knows how long, but you know, it JJ, there was, there was always going to be a ceiling as to how his career was going to be perceived by people outside of that club. I'm not saying that Twitter is the place to go for reaction, but JJ, if you type in his name and you go to any video of him scoring a goal, read the, do, do yourself a favor and read the comments. It's just one after another after another making fun of this guy for not having won a trophy. And it's not fair and it's stupid that now he's gone to a club where seemingly life gets easier for him, but now like but now we perceive him to be better, even though it's the job for him is easier. And that's just the way it is. If you're not do if you're not doing these I things think, I, on a, on a level for a so a select few, it feels like of these teams. There's a ceiling. Like if he had left five years ago to go to Bayern, he'd be he'd be having Robert Lewandowski's career. However, you view Robert Lewandowski is how you'd view Kane. And if Kane stayed at Spurs, it's just it's not. He scored thirty goals last season, but like no one cared. Like I think so if, I think you're a not lot doing of people... it at a select few teams. Like it's. You're just never going to break through that gla- that ceiling. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of people have been impressed with the, with his application at Spurs and the way he consistently scored goals, no. even in bad teams. And you know, it was the logical move. He had there was no road left. I mean, his age meant that he had to make that move. Um, and and it's working out, and it's great. It's still weird seeing him in a Bayern Munich jersey, but like he's he's making the most of 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 the peak years he has. Um. I, I I'm still there's still a part of me super curious about how Ange Postacoglu would have would have used him. Um, I think it would have been incredible, honestly. I know it, some it, people say, "Oh, it would have," you know. I think it would have been. I think it would have, but I think it would have. Um, not just because he's not in, uh, he's in at Bayern Munich in a stronger team, and Tottenham aren't aren't as strong as that. I don't think that's it. I just think from a running standpoint. The running he would have been asked to do, I still think he would have scored goals, but it would have been a phenomenal ask of his body. And um, and I'm just curious. Yeah, because the Spurs, like, even with Son, as good as Son is playing, it's like, it, they've just lost this, like, iconic center forward. And um, and I would have loved to have seen how, how it worked out. But but whatever. And um, can, Well, the other on. thing, I, I then wanted to mention Dortmund, because you mentioned them as well. Um, so... Like you said, it's been it's been very successful for them so far in this Champions League. Not maybe as much in in the league, but in the Champions League, these two wins against Newcastle, it's going well for them. They're currently top of the group. And then yeah. yesterday, I don't know if you saw JJ, but they we spoke before about the Champions League format. This is the last group stage. Yesterday was the day in which Dortmund fans, or whenever they put, was that two days ago, when they were going to protest these changes, um, they hung a there was a huge banner across the stand uh, that read, you don't care about the sport. You all, uh, all you care about is money directed at UEFA for the format changes. Their fans threw fake money and fake gold bars onto the pitch. Um, I mean, it was, they let, they let their feelings be known as, as they are a fan base that is known to do. Um, I don't know that it was a coincidence that Newcastle were the opponent given given the ownership structure at that club. And Adam Bate of Sky Sports had an extraordinary interview. You can see it on Sky Sports website um, with the the managing director of Borussia Dortmund, Karsten Kramer. 
And it's it's basically all about how Dortmund are just different and want to be different from all of the other prominent clubs around them you know, throughout Europe. Um, Cause like they're in a group with, with a Saudi owned Newcastle, a Qatari owned PSG. Mm. Um, and they want to operate in a way that is financially unique to all those others. And everything they do, this article basically shines a light on the fact that every decision that is made at Borussia Dortmund is made through the lens of, is this true to our values? And he even says like, our stadium is not in great shape. Like, there are things that we could do to improve it, but like we don't care about those things. It's the people who are inside of the stadium that make it what it is. Um, yeah. And he goes on to say, uh, he says, whatever we whatever we do has to be credible. I'm not criticizing other clubs. Bayern are trying to position themselves in a completely different way. They hire celebrities. They hire other players. For them, they are trying to reach a completely different level of attention. Uh, Kramer acknowledges their own approach can be restrictive. Quote, I always have to care about authenticity. It's sometimes a challenge. From a purely commercial perspective, I would be happy to pursue ideals like PSG have done, but that would not be Dortmund. Um, And then how about this line from Kramer? He was asked about the way last season ended for Dortmund, where they couldn't beat Mainz at the end that would have won them the league. (laughs) And he says this. He says, if you're looking for trophies, you have to go with Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. If you're just interested in stars on your shirt, we are the wrong one. We cannot promise you that. We tried hard against Mainz, but we failed. To fail is part of our history as well. I was just thinking about that line. And like, if, great. Da- and like if Daniel Levy said it, he'd be made fun of. for it, It'd be on T-shirts for, for Arsenal fans to wear when they go up against Spurs. But for Dortmund, right. it's like it's part of the ethos and it makes them almost like a lovable a lovable club in some way. No, it uh, of course it does. And it also, it speaks to what Arsene Wenger said about when the crazy pressure was coming on him um, in the fallow years, the decade after their appearance in the Champions League final. And he just said, the thing is, only one team can win the league every season. Only one. And now you've got supercharged teams like Manchester City, um, and now Newcastle, obviously, with with all that money, and so it's very it's very hard for for clubs to compete. I mean, Arsenal were spinning plates; they were trying to build a stadium, um, uh, and and also remain a, a financially aggressive team in, in the in the transfer market. Like it's hard to do those things, or it was then before the massive um, TV deals. And Dortmund are like that. Like, there's a cynicism in English football, and it, and it and it the the fact that the fans have embraced it, you know. Uh, the T-shirts about Tottenham, about you know, sustainability is 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 stupid. You see United fans whoring themselves to get Qatari money in, right? You know, they, just so the banter can continue and they can rise up and be top of the pile. And just German football has massive rivalries, but it also has a kind of a mutual respect. Saying that, and I think it's because of fifty plus one and the involvement of the fans, saying that you know. What we have is special and it just cannot be bought out. Or, and it's not all about winning. It's not all about um, a capitalist idea of football, both on and off the field. Um, and they're they're amazing for that, uh, Dortmund. They really and, are. And we've always said on this podcast, and you know, I remember specifically when we used to do our, uh, oh my God, I forgot the name of it, JJ, when we would hand out clubs to people with our questionnaire. Help a fan. Help a fan, our help a fan program. Yeah. We would often say to people, look, this sport and really not just soccer sports in general it has to be about more than just finishing first otherwise it's not it's not for you 
Like that, like you just yeah. said, only one team can win. There has to be more more to this than just being the last one standing. Otherwise, you're not gonna you're not gonna have fun with this. It's not for you. It has and to be I think more about like the, st- the culture, the community, those all of that stuff that comes along with sports. You have to value those things. And clearly, Borussia. I mean, it, it's obviously the number one tenant within Borussia Dortmund's belief system that that's you know that we are going to do things our way regardless of what results they yield. He he finished by saying. Uh, it's a simple strategy. Try to be Dortmund. Authenticity is important. I'm convinced because whenever we play in the Champions League and meet uh, meet the other clubs, our story and our club is unique. We are able to differentiate ourselves from the others. At some point, we will be rewarded for the strategy. And by the way, they have been in the past. They have won things. They are oh, one of the abs- best clubs in the world. I, I mean, absolutely. And but but it's it's they've got to be cleverer. They've got to be more innovative. They've got to think harder about what they do than other clubs do. Like. I mean, look at Manchester United. You know, Manchester United go to Copenhagen um, and they lose 4-3 and you'll have their supporters and their manager blaming the referee for... Uh, now, it was an egregious red card. I don't believe it was a red card. But um, you'll you'll have them just kind of lose sight of, of, of what they are and the massive funds they have compared to Copenhagen, you know? And there's no credit being given to Copenhagen. Copenhagen had to think harder, had to be better. Like across 180 minutes, they've been better than Manchester United, including the old the defeat in Old Trafford. They've been better than them. And um, what's that phrase? A necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. You know, why are teams Brighton, for one, uh, Dortmund? Um, like, why, why are these sides, Atlanta, why are these sides constantly innovating and being different it's because they have to and also you know in the case of Dortmund we're we're so god there's campaigns in the Premier League there's a campaign for for um you know anti-racism campaigns there's inclusivity campaigns there's campaigns for you know all those things and and that's fine and everything but like clubs like Dortmund are a campaign on their own like th- this is built into their values. They don't say September is our inclusivity month. Like they try to live those values all the way through, as as the original idea of a sports club was. And it's so weird. It's so weird when you see them in a group with PSG and Newcastle, who are petrofuel, um, basically designed to win and to compete and to obliterate all others. That's that's not what Dortmund are. Right now, in fairness to this conversation. It does also feel a little bit weird. Like if you're a fan of like a third tier side listening to this right now, I don't blame you if you're shouting at us saying, oh, shut up about Dortmund and their small club values. Like they do, they have, it's pointed out in the article, they do have offices in New York City. They have offices in Singapore. Like if we want to talk about like clubs that have those values, it's the, it's the third and fourth tier and non-league sides like that. Dortmund is still a major corporation. Right, right, okay, but like, look at uh, uh, look at San Pauli, like in um, Hamburg, you know, they've kind of made their brand uh, awareness, social justice, anti-racism, anti-fascism. Oh yeah, I'm not um, talking about that stuff. I'm just, like, I'm just talking about the ethos of Dortmund as a whole. But like, if if if, if San Pauli put a team together and they're successful and they stay in the Bundesliga for long enough, I mean, they'll get to that level of of. I mean, they're they're an up and down team, but they'll get to that level of of kind of of money mm-hmm. and of competition, and it's just, I mean, Dortmund have done it 
based on these values with those values, not in spite of them. Right. And, no, and just true. because you can't criticize them for where they are now. Uh, right. it's, it's, it's just a factor of their good management. Yeah. Um, so yeah, props to them. They're, uh, they're having a good time of it right now in the champions league. It was a nice win over, uh, over Newcastle. I know there was, uh, before we wrap up the, who are you most impressed by section here? I know JJ, there was another one you wanted to mention. Uh, Real Sociedad, or as we call them in, in this house, Real Sociedad, because, um, friends of ours, uh, Michael and Michelle got Roisin Real Sociedad bibs. So she's she's got she's got two or three of them and she constantly rocks them. So we call them real sociedad. Just dad jokes, Andrew. That's that's where we're at right now. Um, they equaled their longest winning run in the European Cup, UEFA Champions League, winning three in a row for the first time since September October of nineteen eighty two. Mm. Nineteen eighty two. I was but a but a. I was the same age as Roshin. Uh Amazing, absolutely amazing. And um, and if you look at their group. Again, Inter, a giant finalist last year, uh, Salzburg, Benfica. Like, look how good Benfica were. And Sociedad put them to, to the sword pretty early yesterday in that game. I mean, it was what, 3 0 after 15 or 20 minutes? 21 minutes, um, three goals, yeah. Yeah. And they've been a good side in La Liga. They're very entertaining to watch. And it's just, it, uh, Orla Sabal is a, is a brilliant player. Atake, very good too. And um, I don't know. They're, they're just a, a nice story. Um, and they should, they should confirm in the next round their their uh, their passage to the round of sixteen. Well, I believe they've qualified for the knockout. Have stage. they? Have they? Okay. With, with two matches to spare, I believe they have. That yeah. I mean that 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 in and of itself is pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean that atmosphere was unbelievable, and I would say if, if you're Benfica and you're and you're trying to keep the crowd out of it, maybe don't. Maybe don't give up three goals in the first 21 minutes of a game. De- definitely not. Now, speaking of the crowd, there was an issue with Benfica fans who were involved with flares on the street before the game and then dropped flares on Real Sociedad fans in the stadium during the game. So there's a big investiga- investigation going on there. And um, uh, yeah, um, basically the authorities in in, um, in Sociedad and San Sebastian have said that they'll they will arrest and put away whatever Benfica fans they can they can get for what they've done. One quick thing about uh, Real Sociedad, they made a massive signing in the late 80s, John Aldridge from Liverpool, who was in the best team in Europe. And um, he was he was signed by, by Sociedad in 1989. And a local butcher told him he'd give him a stake for every goal he scored. So, and he had, an, he had an unbelievable spell there. I think he scored... Uh, 30-something goals in all competitions. So it's a lot of stake. A lot of stake. Good for him. Um, one other I wanted to mention, and look, for teams that have impressed us, obviously there's a bunch more that we're not going to mention. Like Manchester City are flying, like, you know, uh, some of the usual spe- uh, suspects. Real Madrid looking good. Great goal from Rodrigo. But uh, I also wanted to mention Arsenal here as they handle Sevilla with no problems at all. Um, Sevilla's first shot in this game occurred seven minutes into stoppage time. <laughs> like, I mean, it's... That's not good. Just seeing Arsenal back on this stage in the Champions League, they're playing very well. And Bukayo Saka, I think these are these are the stages when a guy has a chance. Like we all know that he's a great player, but when you see him doing it on European nights in Europe's top competition, you start to see that guy in a different kind of light. And Saka was very much that for Arsenal uh, in this win. Had the uh, the assist, then scored a great goal himself. Um, however, 
unfortunately, as is sometimes the problem with Saka, he was then forced off late uh, in this one with an injury. We're recording this early Thursday morning. At this point, I have not seen the situation with that. I know that afterwards, it seemed like Mikel Arteta was trying to downplay whatever the severity of it was. Still, I mean, when you see a guy playing that well, he's their best player. I mean, we can talk about Odegaard, uh, Saliba. Like, yeah, they have a lot of really good, important players on that team. But I think Saka has emerged as the engine there. Um, And so anytime you see him leaving a game um, prematurely, it kind of gets your back up a little bit. And so we'll have to monitor that. It'd be a shame for certainly for him and for the club, because they look good right now in the champions league. Um, and they bounced back from what was a kind of a deflating, frustrating loss over the weekend in the premier league. They showed no signs of that here. Uh, let's see up to this point, JJ, who are we still unsure of? I only have one here for this. I, I only have one and they're, t- they're, I mean, they're currently top of their group I, I, and it, I'm not saying it's not a tricky group, but I'm, I'm talking about Atletico Madrid. Hmm. It's it's weird because I've seen things in La Liga this season and I've seen little flashes in Champions League that, you know, make me think that this could be a potent side. I, I just think Antoine Griezmann is playing the best football of his career. I, I he's just a fabulous, fabulous footballer. Um but they have two wins and two draws, and the two wins have come against uh, you know, they drew obviously with Glasgow Celtic, and then they absolutely hammered Celtic. In their most, I mean, Dyson Maida got sent off early, so that kind of, I mean, I still think they're winning that game anyway, but it it certainly didn't help Celtic's cause, and and uh, Atleti put six past them. So I I just, I, I think they're a good side. I honestly do, and I think there's a little bit more to them than we've seen in previous years. But I I can't get a read on them in this group. Yeah, um, Celtic played really well against them in their in their first matchup. Yeah, Scotland. they did. They did. Um. The best Celtic have played all season in either domestic or European competition, and and it still wasn't uh, good enough to hang on and win that game. Um, so I know it's Lazio are no mugs. Feyenoord have been decent as well. Just I don't know. I I haven't got a reading on it on, on Atleti yet, but okay. I have a feeling that they could be troublesome for whoever they get in the round of sixteen. Uh, the club that I'm unsure of so far through the ch- uh, first four Champions League group stage matches is also in La Liga, and it's FC Barcelona. Um, as as they lose to Shakhtar in Hamburg on Tuesday, 1-0. Shakhtar, of course, playing their home games there. Um, now, yes, like I'm unsure of Barcelona. They had won their, their previous three matches in the competition. Two of them were narrow wins, 1-0 over Porto, 2-1 in the first one against Shakhtar. I, I don't know. I keep – I just have this weird thing with Barcelona. I, I, I keep wanting to declare them as – contenders for this competition but then something happens that just makes you unsure and and this loss to Shakhtar kind of did that and I'll say this about Barcelona and the way I feel about them it's not just me that feels this way it's from within Barcelona as well Um, Mm. Xavi their manager afterwards he said the level of our performances is really low at the moment this was one of the worst games of my two years in charge we have to be self-critical he went on to say that confidence is low. He said, he used the term that we need a reset. Um, like, this is all a little bit alarming. It's it's early November. Um, and, and he's feeling this already at this point in the season, that they need some kind of a reset. Just one shot on target in this one, coming off a match in the league against Sociedad, who we were talking about before, that, yeah, Barcelona won the game, but you've got one of their own players in João Cancelo, who said afterwards that they didn't deserve to win. Um and then obviously before that, they had their really deflating home loss to Real Madrid. 
And like you look at some of the guys on this team that you would hope would carry them through these sort of rough patches, Lewandowski chiefly among them. He hasn't scored in his last six matches for Barcelona, hasn't had a shot on target in either of his last two games for them. Um, So, yeah, something is I still think I mean, we've done this multiple times now where we go through their their squad and we point out why they can be great, why they are kind of weird. They're hard to figure out. And I do think that the ceiling is is really high for them. But I just wonder if it's going to be a challenge for them to consistently reach it. And like I said, their own their own manager, I think right now has been left wondering as well if they'll be able to. So not giving up on them, just unsure, unsure of what to think of them. Um, And then finally, JJ, biggest disappointments so far in the Champions League. And I suppose I suppose this now enters the the Manchester United portion of the program. How Um, are they a big disappointment? Well, because it's. Because it's this group, it's them, I guess. Well, it's it's them. It is yeah. it's them. But also, like this group is was tricky. But I don't know that it was supposed to be this tricky. Where like no, what, I agree. Where, where what you said before that they've now been outplayed by FC Copenhagen twice. Now they won one of them. They yeah. didn't win the other. But like stuff like that, you know, they're bottom right. of the group right now with two matches to go, and that's without having had their second match against Bayern yet. Like. Now, they might have been done a favor in that Bayern have already secured qualification to the knockout stage, so maybe there will be a let-off there, although I don't know if Bayern will see it that way. Um, so, I, I just, yeah, United have struggled, but I thought maybe this competition, maybe this would be different. Copenhagen, like, these performances were just not good. Now, I guess we should, this was, you're probably not going to have a more fascinating match in this group stage than what, Manchester United and FC Copenhagen treated us to. Uh, I mean, it was insane. So we should, if you we should at, go through some of it. Yeah. If you, oh yeah, well, if you looked at the halftime, um, the halftime scores around around the Champions League yesterday, it was like nil nil, one nil, very standard, very cautious, and then United two two. After United were two nil up, they surrendered two nil lead, and they have a man sent off all in forty five minutes. Well, that Absolute. all happened in the last seven. Oh, Christ. If you include Absol- like the 45 minutes of stoppage time. Yeah, absolutely. There, I mean, a circus, just a circus. Uh, I mean, it was a great game. It was very interesting. And, and what about, I mean, a man that if you had had your way, Rooney Badgey wouldn't be playing professional football or, uh, anymore, even though he's, he's, he's but a boy, but a child. He was the man that penyanked uh, Copenhagen into the group stage. <laughs> he's and, 17 uh, years old and I he's know. scoring a, a Champions League winner against Manchester United. He's 17. He's so confident. He's so confident. Let me just get one thing out of the way. Okay. Rashford is trying to shield that ball. The guy sticks his foot in underneath it. There's nothing Rashford can do. It's not a stamp. But it because if you're going to be a dull automaton and go by the rule book, the law book, it is ascending off by that. But you can clearly see and I know, like everyone's going on, well, intent doesn't matter. In some cases, yes, it does. It doesn't, though. It literally it's an, doesn't. It's for, for several years now, it and doesn't then you're matter. Supposed, uh, they've all, all these rules about you're supposed to be aware of the players around you on the field. I, I understand all that. I'm not giving him a red card. If I'm the referee, I'm not giving him a red card for that. I'm just not doing it. Well, then you're, United I mean... Have, United I, I, have been good up until that point. They were... Um, uh, you know, Hoy- Hoyland, who who scored two goals, 
um, and United 2 0 up. And there's reason, but you know, you can I, I, you can make the argument to go on and win that game. And you know, but I just see here's the thing I keep I keep judging them by the standards of a good team, of a top side. And a top side does not fall apart when they go down to 10 men, especially when they lose their center forward. You can absorb that, you can change things around. It's not losing your goalkeeper, your center back, whatever. It like it didn't need to cause it didn't, what I'm saying, it didn't mean that Mohamed El Nusi, there's a name, <laughs> you know, is definitely going to score right before half time, and then uh Concalves is going to score. You know, it just doesn't mean that everything follows. Well, no, we're going to lose this game now. And it didn't even mean it really in the in the game itself. That United went back ahead from and I mean another controversial oh, decision. For, well, for God's what, sake. Well, a couple well, things not, though off of what you're saying there. First off, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Jamie Carragher made a point about it, what you're saying um, in the post-match show on CBS, where he basically said, going down a man there, like, the way that that impacts your team, it shouldn't, yeah, it might impact your ability to go to to push forward and try to score goals, but you're up two. You don't need to yeah. do that. It shouldn't impact your defending to the point where you immediately concede twice. Your exactly. defending, your defending should still be stout. You should just re you refocus your resources into defending, and you look to protect that two goal lead. Immediately, they give that lead away before the half had ended. Exactly, and that's the point. And like, I don't want to friggin' hear what did Marcus Rashford do? Got to do with uh, Diego Dalos? Like United go ahead and straight away. Uh, well, not straight away, but like um, Fernandez goes ahead 69 minutes and then uh, like 10 minutes later, uh, Laragher nips in at the far post in between. Like Dallow just loses him. Like what has that got to do with anything? You want to say Dallow wouldn't be playing if everyone's fit? Whatever, whatever. But just this idea that, uh, that the sending off was just the everything in this game is not true to where United are. It's not true to what we see week in, week out. It's not true to, to anything we know about this this team right now. And look, um, I've, and it, I've come to enjoy FC Copenhagen. Maybe, yeah. look, maybe if, if United are up two goals and they go down a man against Real Madrid, against Man City, like you can maybe accept it, but like it's like against FC Copenhagen, you, you just can't immediately, you can't go down a man and then within the next 45 minutes have given up four goals. Like it's not the same. It's just not the same. I mean, you look at throughout this competition, they've given up four versus Copenhagen, four versus Bayern, three versus Galatasaray at Old Trafford. Um, they still have another against Bayern and Galatasaray to come. Like That's going to be brilliant. Uh, home to Bayern, okay, but away to Galatasaray. Amazing. I cannot wait for that game. That could be an absolute belter. That could yeah. be 5-3. I'm not even joking. Now, as for uh, you, also touched on some of the controversies from this match. Um, I mean, look, you use the term dull automaton. If there's one thing that I have always fashioned myself to be, it is very much a dull automaton. Uh, and, and I just feel like I, I appreciate your and everyone's sentiment on this. I didn't want that. I don't want that to be a red, but you're saying the referee, like, it, it's not his job to like subjectively decide like he, he has to just go by the rules. Like that is his job. The laws of the game is what well, he has your, to go by. Intent does yeah, not, but, it does not matter. It does uh, not yeah. matter. But, but we know, but here's the, here's the, here's the disconnect in Europe. That is red card all day, seven days of the week and twice on a Sunday 
in England where we have this kind of let it flow, laissez-faire attitude to certain tackles. It's not. I think in England that one would have been. I think, you've, I, see, I think you've seen not, that a couple no. times now with, with the Curtis Jones I incident. So. I, I think no, you've seen no. now. The Curtis Jones if, incident if, if is not leg, the same thing. If a I, leg I, bends. It's not the same thing. Not the same thing. I don't think I don't think it matters if it comes on a challenge or if it's somebody protecting the ball. I just think if somebody's foot lands on someone's leg and caused that legs that that leg to bend, it's gonna. We're finding out now that's that's gonna be red. I, I don't know. I, I think that like you can't be surprised by this stuff anymore. It sucks because we all know Rashford. It was purely an accident. It wasn't. He's not trying to hurt anyone. It was in no way. It wasn't dirty. It doesn't make him a dirty player. It's unfortunate. It's it's very unfortunate, okay, but I right. think it is red. Let's move on to the next one. Were you delighted with the penalty that was given against uh, Copenhagen? Well, I was going to move the penalty that United went ahead with because I was going to yeah. go to that one. Because, um, like, yeah, that's I mean, what... yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Dale Johnson at ESPN FC, he says um, earlier this, he basically says it, it is. In in England, that one is not. But in UEFA, with the, the new UEFA handball laws, it is. Um, and it's clear cut and there's not really an argument to be made. But it's interesting because you hear all the time, JJ, about like people saying this is why we need players on the board to make these decisions because they get it. Well, Dale Johnson points out on ESPN FC, he says earlier this year, the newly created UEFA football board made up of former players and coaches urged for more clarity on the handball law. However, it seems um, it's now it seems as confusing and frustrating as ever, not to forget inconsistent across competitions. So they tried. They tried to bring in players and coaches to get clarity on the handball law. And there is never going to be clarity on this law. And I'm comfortable living in that space where I just, sometimes it will be, sometimes it won't be. I've said that all season now. Yeah, it just seemed, you know, it's really harsh. Lump a ball into the box, get Maguire up to challenge for a guy doesn't even see the ball hit his hand. I know. And he's, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Anyway, felt ridiculous, but. That's Manchester United. (laughs) Um, Yeah, bottom of the group. And then uh, I I just was going to mention, I mean, we kind of talked about them a little bit earlier, but um, also Newcastle were drawn into a, a, probably the Champions League's most competitive and difficult group, and it hasn't gone well. Uh, they're bottom after losing to Dortmund, and they still have a trip to PSG awaiting them. Doesn't feel like uh, this is going to end with Newcastle in the round of 16. I think I saw Opta has the percentage chances for uh, Newcastle to advance to the last 16. I think it's now just under 24% chance, I believe. Mm. Could be reading this wrong but i think that's what it is um yeah yeah i mean look eventually eventually this is not going to be a conversation so we might as well enjoy uh this brief moment where they're not guaranteed to progress from the group stages of the champions league uh, i've three disappointments just go through them quickly sevilla i i um i don't know i just expected them to be a bit more robust against arsenal and um you know, considering their pedigree and they haven't been. Benfica, big fall off from last season where I just enjoyed them so much. Um, and they went on a little run where I thought they could go all the way to the semi-final. And then Glasgow Celtic. I, I don't want to hear what people say to me. Well, you the Scottish League. Well, whatever. This is a club that does have resources and they do not put money into making themselves European battle-hardened. And I just wonder why they don't because... They've got everything going for them. They're go- they they have a pathway to this to this competition every year. 
They have an amazing stadium with amazing fans and an amazing history. And I, I just would like to see Dermot Desmond and everyone loosen the purse strings and, and, and um, try to be really, really good in Europe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and now they're probably, I mean, they're probably going to miss out on the Europa League too. Like, I feel like it's, it's a, maybe it's a loser's mentality, but I feel like it's a fair aim for them to say, let's just, let's finish third. Like we can take a great success in that and being in the Europa League in the second half of the season, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen either. No, no. Yeah. So there we are. Is that all of them? That's them. All right. So there you go. The Champions League, two matches still to go in the group stage. A um, bunch of teams already going through, but still a ton to be decided. Um, a couple of things to come up in the second half of the pod. Before that, though, JJ, as we're getting into uh, getting close to Thanksgiving, I think it's literally it's two weeks from today. Um, yeah. So, so we want to tell you to grab the oven mitts because this news, JJ, is too hot to handle. As we feast our way through mountains of mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce, let's chat about the unsung hero of the holiday season. That's right, the Manscaped Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's a common topic of conversation around the Thanksgiving dinner tables, families across America. That's right, it's time to say goodbye to your man's old razor. And make sure he's as smooth as the pumpkins on the doorstep. Hop over to manscaped.com. And when you use code caught offside, you'll score 20% off and free shipping. So get ready for your man to gobble, wobble, and glide his way through. <laughs> Thankful season with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Um, don't let his poor grooming be the topic of the dinner conversation this year. Um, with the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, he'll he'll be able to He'll be the talk of the table. Just imagine. Listen, just imagine. Listen, we want no pubes at the dinner table. Yeah, that's right. That should not. That it should not be part of your Thanksgiving conversation because of Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. So get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code Caught Offside at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code Caught Offside. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. His balls will thank you. It says in the copy. JJ, we'll go ahead. We'll take a break. When we come back on the other side, couple, um, couple final notes. I, I got some mail from uh, one of the animals that I felt like I needed to address yeah. regarding the uh, Tottenham Chelsea stuff from the other day. Theo Lloyd Hughes is going to join us to talk about uh, the NWSL final. As uh, we thought, Megan Rapinoe's last match. I feel like she, she's been. We've had send offs to her. It feels like at so many different junctures throughout the season, but this is the actual one. As OL Reign have reached the NWSL title. Uh, so we'll talk a little about that. Emma Hayes' appointment, some MLS stuff to get to, a little bit of a mailbag as well. Still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
back now on, uh, on Caught Offside here on a, on a Thursday. Zim, have you, I guess some people out there have a long weekend coming up. Veterans Day is on Friday. Our thanks, of That's course, right. to all the uh, veterans in this country. I know a bunch of them reach out from time to time and thank us. We've been This podcast has been consumed by vets all around the world. And that's uh, never ceases to be amazing to me for everything that they do for us. I can't believe that we even do an ounce of anything for them, but uh, well, thank you to them as veterans day is, uh, is on Friday. Yeah, no. And uh, any of them that haven't t- that checked, checked in in a while, happy to hear from you. Caught offside pod at gmail.com. Let's, I often think about the guy in who was stationed in Afghanistan, Andrew, mm. who used to listen to us when he was, um, at night, I think he was. Uh, he would, he would, when he was at his post at night, listening to us. That, that will, that's one of the most amazing things ever. My voice echoing across wherever Kandahar or wherever it was. Yeah, I hope not echoing across. You know, that's not a good idea. That's not safe. But you know, someone listening to me in a far from place like Afghanistan is, uh, it's amazing. So very cool. Um, let's see a couple of Premier League notes real quick. I just wanted to mention this quickly about Everton. They've got Crystal Palace coming up this weekend. I bring this up only because I I talked the other day about how I feel like Everton have a chance at staying up, not just because of everyone who's bad beneath them, but because they might actually be okay. Um, and, and I I saw this. Opta Joe posted this. The percentage uh, the percentage of match time in which Premier League teams have been ahead in twenty twenty three twenty four in all competitions. And Everton have actually led in just over 33% of their matches, which is eighth best in the Premier League. It's basically the same as Tottenham, who were top of the league until this past uh, Monday. Um, right. They're both at 33% that they the amount of time in which they've had leads. doesn't mean everything, obviously. The most important stat is when you're if you're leading at the 90th minute at the end of a game and Everton haven't been able to hold on to these leads. But I do think that if they if you're a really, truly awful team, you're not leading for th- for a third of your match time this season. And to put it in perspective, Manchester City have led for the the longest amount of time throughout their matches uh, at just about 48% of the time they've been in the lead. It's not everything, but it is another sign. If you're a, a truly dreadful team, I don't think you're leading for 30, 33% of the time in, in no, matches. No, but bad, te- bad teams give up leads as well. That's true. That's, uh, that is true. That's concern. Yep. Um, let's see. A couple quick Tottenham-Chelsea things is the dust is uh, continuing to settle from that unbelievably wild game on Monday. So I was skimming through some of the stuff on Reddit among the animals. And I saw this uh, from risky biscuits. He uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he accused me of, and this is a quote of completely misrepresenting Mikel Arteta's quote about the Liverpool VAR catastrophe. Um, When I I said, when I, I quoted Arteta for saying about that, that we have to understand that mistakes happen. Um, so the conversation Arteta, Arteta was having around what happened with Liverpool in that game against Spurs, he was asked about referees not being allowed to officiate matches for certain clubs. Here's the full quote. So he's, he's talking about Liverpool and Spurs and the, and the controversy from that game and referees who can't officiate for certain clubs. He said, I don't know. It's something that we don't have a say. We don't manage. And I think they are trying to make the best decisions. They're trying to protect the game. They are trying to get as much support uh, and as well be ruthless when it needs to be. I think at some point as well, we need to give support and we need to understand that mistakes happen. We make mistakes as well. And if not, I think the pressure will be so much that it will be very, very difficult to manage. That's the quote. Uh, I appreciate 
the clarification from Risky Biscuits. I will respectfully disagree that me invoking that quote around what happened to Liverpool is quote unquote completely misrepresenting Arteta's thoughts mm. on the matter, being that this question was put to him amidst the Diaz bar conversation. That's what he was that was the topic of conversation that they were discussing when they asked him about referees not being able to manage certain games. I think for him to go off and just say in that conversation, we need to understand that mistakes happen. I don't think it's a leap to say that that's kind of his overall takeaway about the mistakes that were made. But but I respect that maybe the way I put it wasn't exactly the way you felt it should be put. Um, and so I felt the distinction was worth pointing out and people can decide for themselves rather than me uh, unilaterally deciding for you. So there you go. I hope that helped in some way. Um, now, a couple other things on this one that I wanted to mention. Uh, somebody else on Reddit said, so I, I don't know if you noticed, JJ, I, I'm obviously more in tune, I guess, with what Tottenham fans are saying after games. I listen to podcasts. I'm yeah. reading stuff on Twitter. It's just what I do, especially after a game like that. And the reaction, despite having lost 4-1 to one of their biggest rivals, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. I think fans were very proud of what Ange sought out to do. Um, and so somebody on our Reddit, Z Paris, on Reddit said for Andrew, the Tottenham sub a subreddit, I guess is full of Aussie fans that have followed Ange and all of them talk about how a very similar thing happened when he coached the roar and said that the game he lost with nine men was the game. He knew they fully bought in after that, they went on a tear through the league. Um, and then he goes on, talks about the Tottenham side of it. But so, so Ange has done this before. Uh, and I think something similar, I think I was reading something similar to this happened also when he was in Scotland with Celtic. Um, so, he's experienced in this and maybe i, mean, he I even, don't know if i do it my yeah it might have even been a part of him when he saw they went down to nine was like, oh yes this is it it's happening again now it's my chance to really put a stamp i've never seen i've never seen things. it done have you ever seen it done before no, no, no absolutely i have not and you know I, some people say that they felt that it worked that wasn't my takeaway ultimately chelsea did wind up with four goals uh, but there were people who were saying, look, it was 2-1 in the 92nd minute, and Sun had a really, really quality opportunity to score and tie that game. Um, Chelsea then scored two right after that to make it look worse than maybe it was. I don't know. Well, I guess agree to disagree a little bit on that. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to mention some of that stuff. Um, also, to uh, Romero, because that's the other fallout from all this, is that, like, okay, be proud of of what Ange did, but... Tottenham now are in a uh, they're in a difficult position with Van de Ven out for what's going to be an extended period of time. Christian Romero with the straight red. He's now suspended three games. Udagi um, with the red card is going to be suspended for a game. Um, and I saw this from Opta. They did a breakdown of Romero. They kind of were asking the question, is he worth it? <laughs> like He's a great defender, but he's out of his mind. Um, and they write, since his Tottenham debut in August of 2021, he's picked up more red cards in all competitions than any other Premier League player. Uh, he has also now given away four penalties too. a total. Only three players could top with Craig Dawson, Lewis Dunk and Wilfred and conceding five each. He's a wild card. So I feel like it's one of those things, JJ, where when it's a full moon and it's like a full moon and a werewolf knows what's about to happen. So they kind of chain themselves up so they can't escape. I feel like Ange has to do that. Like when, when Romero kicked Colwell, Ange has to recognize, he has to look up at the sky and be like, "Uh Oh, moon looks full. And he's got to just yank him. He's got to, for his own good. I don't care if it was the third minute or the 53rd minute. I don't care. He's got to get out because it's happening. 
He's turned it into a werewolf, but he didn't. He left him in, and sure enough, carnage ensues. Um, so, yeah, that's Tottenham and Chelsea. We'll see where each of these teams go from there. Wild one, and uh, now we move on. And we move on, J.J., to this. I'm so excited to have this conversation now with uh, with Theo Lloyd-Hughes, who does such a great job of covering the NWSL and uh, and women's soccer in general. Give him a follow on X, at Theo Lloyd-Hughes. And he, uh, he joins us now to help preview Saturday's NWSL final and talk a little bit about Emma Hayes as well. Uh, Theo, what's up, man? How are you? Hello, hello. Andrew, JJ, pleasure to be here. Uh, beautiful weather, love autumn. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of good football going on. A lot of very, very serious end of the season football. Yeah. Uh, how, you, how are you, Les? We're good. We're doing well. The good football continues this weekend, Saturday night. Of course, 8 p.m. Eastern time in San Diego, the NWSL final, Gotham FC, OL Reign. Both teams looking for their first NWSL title. And, you know, it's interesting because I don't know that you would have looked at these two teams necessarily coming into the playoffs as favorites. However, having said that, it was a tremendous season of parity within this league. The one seed to the six seed were separated by just six points. So given all that, just how surprised should we be by this final? Yeah, you teed it off nicely there. I think any of the top six teams, any of the top eight teams could have made a lot of noise in these playoffs, in this season, there's so many teams that could be champions. I mean, you know, winning the league or the shield, as the Americans like to say, is a big deal. And we saw San Diego Wave, who who picked up that trophy, get knocked out immediately to a very, very business-like OL Reign, who are obviously in the final now. And yeah, it's it's interesting to see these quote-unquote lower seeds do well. But I think O.L. Reign with Laura Harvey as the head coach and a lot of star players your listeners will know, like Rose Lavelle, like Megan Rapino. you know, they're very, very talented. So I wouldn't pay too much mind to the low seed. Gotham, on the other hand, to be fair, you know, they're a very, very good six seed. Like I said, um, anyone can win it. Six points off top. They've played some fabulous football, high pressing, easily the most energetic, most kind of disruptive team in this league. But they did finish bottom of the entire NWSL last year. So there is a lot of credit for them for getting to the playoffs and obviously getting to the big game. So Gotham, bit of a surprise. But like I said, I think anyone can win it. And OL Reign, you know, they are part of the establishment. These are big names, but they they didn't maybe have as good a regular season as some people would have thought. Are you you surprised? Or or can you give us any insight as to how Gotham have become good so quickly? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a quick turnaround. Yeah, and when we say they were bad last year, they were really bad. Like I think yeah. that's the other thing. It's not, you know, we you, you guys know parity in, in 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 the American leagues. It's it's very unique, and I think for Europeans seeing it, it's kind of unbelievable the idea of a team going from bottom of the league to top of the league or to the end of the playoffs. But they lost twelve games in a row last year, sacked the manager, four wins out of twenty two, seventeen. Def- uh, defeats. So, you know, you've got five games of an entire year where you're not getting beat. And and some of those games were 5-0, you know, they were getting smashed. So it was a complete, complete rebuild. And I think there's four key signings. I would I would highlight goalkeeper Abby Smith, um, midfielder Yasmin Ryan, up front Lynn Williams. Um, and I've actually forgotten the fourth, uh, which is really bad on me. Who am I thinking of? Oh, oh Jenna Nysonga. Yeah. Well, Kelly O'Hara actually is a good one to mention. She hasn't yeah. played much, but she does offer a lot in the locker room. Uh, so yeah, include, make it five, Kelly O'Hara as well. Uh, but I was going to say Jenna Nicewong at the left back who they drafted out of Florida State. She's been absolutely fantastic. Um, she is the rookie of the year this year. She's going to get that award tomorrow. And she, yeah, I think they've they've basically upgraded every single position group. They brought in Juan Carlos Amados. 
used to coach at Spurs, had a fantastic uh, caretaker manager spell with the Houston Dash last year, took them to the playoffs out of nowhere. So they basically had the right additions from the general manager, their sporting director, Yao uh, Averbuch uh, West, and then they had the new coach and it all just came together. And Ali Krieger, like you mentioned, retiring uh, after Saturday's final, she's just having this incredible end to her career. She's been a fabulous player, two-time World Cup winner. You know, she she doesn't have to prove herself, but on she's really put on tape maybe her best season for, for half a decade. And so for that to happen at 39, combined with those new additions, new coach, it, it really was the sort of dream season for Gotham. And in a way, it's crazy that, that they finished sixth and they're the lowest seed because they have so much talent. They also picked up Esther Gonzalez after the World Cup, Spanish World Cup winner. So they've added mid-season as well to all those other additions, which were during the summer. So, yeah, I mean, Gotham, Gotham are loaded. They're not, there is no underdog. These are two fantastic teams. And Theo, you mentioned Ali Krieger. That sort of is, I guess, the uh, the inescapable storyline here, that this is going to be the last professional game for both her and Megan Rapino. Um, with regards to Rapino, you know, we we spoke a lot on this podcast during the Women's World Cup about her, her role on the team. And I don't know if it was just us. It seemed like it was kind of sort of the, the general belief in watching her that, yeah, maybe maybe this was, in fact, the right time for her to be stepping away. It didn't look like there was a whole lot left in the tank. Having said that, it seems like this NWSL campaign and specifically this this postseason campaign has been a maybe a little bit of a different story there. Have have you noticed that as well? Does she look maybe a little bit more like the Rapino of old? Definitely. You know, I'm not a sports psychologist, but you know, we've all watched enough football to know that when a player is in a certain state of mind, they 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 play their best game, right? And for Meg, in a way, you know, all the pressure's off. The World Cup went the way it did. That couldn't have felt very good. She missed that penalty in the shootout. And everyone knows she's retiring. She has a really big send-off game at the end of the regular season and sort of waves goodbye to the Seattle fans and kind of, in a way, gets all the emotion out, takes all the air out of the balloon. And I almost think since then, since the World Cup, it's almost like she's got nothing to lose. So she's been a bit more fearless down the stretch. And I think that's really, really helped her because she hasn't had to kind of draw out this retirement. Like Everyone knew it was happening. She'd already said her goodbye. So she might as well just play football now. And in a weird way, I think that's really helped. I also think she's not done the traditional Megan Rapinoe things. She's been a very, very good defender. She's really done well in tight one-on-one situations out wide. You know, OL Reign play a lot of defense. They sit in a mid block. They don't necessarily chase games or need to kind of go crazy and attack. So she's had to do different things. You know, she's still very, very known for crossing the ball. So set pieces breakaway uh, runs out wide but she's she's not got to do everything for that team she's got to be a team player and i think that's really suited her if if you are calling vegas um to check in with your bookie what's your gut telling you now at this point who's it going to be oh jj you know i so <laughs> i always feel like i make fools of us all um can i can i can i not pick a winner but just say a bet that i really believe people should get on yeah go on Hit, hit the under on the goals. I think you've got right. two of the best defensive teams in the league. It's, I would be shocked if there was more than three goals. I would be shocked if there was more than two goals. I think it's going to be a 1-0, 1-1, extra time, maybe penalties. So that, yeah, would, be my, that would be my bet. I don't know if I have a, a winner. I think it's so, so close. Um, maybe, maybe rain on penalties. Maybe they got the better penalties taken. Okay, well, I'm I'm going to put the the Child's College Fund on that, and uh, and you'll get the blame that comes up. <laughs> uh, Theo Lloyd Hughes joining us here on Caught Offside. 
Uh, Theo, let's move from uh, from the NWSL title over to the other big story in women's soccer this week here in the U.S., and that is, I guess, the the imminent, the expected appointment of Emma Hayes of Chelsea for the U.S. women's national team job. I guess before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of it, you're just curious for your general thoughts on her leaving uh, Chelsea for the U.S. It, it's a bit unthinkable. Um this is a manager who is as much Chelsea women's football club as, as the badge itself. It's it's sort of, yeah, going to be really, really weird not having her there. And it's kind of unthinkable that she would leave. Of course, the size of the job she's leaving for, which is almost the biggest job in the game, does make sense. I think she's also just knackered out from, you know, being at the top, winning every league, having this sense of expectation which won't change the USA are going to demand the best still but she does everything at Chelsea you know she's she's been there she's had a lot on her shoulders as an executive as a director especially during the um the buyout recently the new owner coming in and that putting a lot of pressure on her to ask for what she needs and advocate for her players and I think she won't necessarily have to do all that she'll have to do a little bit more coaching and and that might suit her so I think beyond just the fact that it's a massive massive job you know she's going to be the manager for the next world cup I think it'll also, in a way, take a bit less off her plate and maybe let her spend a bit more time with her kids and, and focus on being a coach, which she's obviously brilliant at. Theo, I t- so I'm, I'm I'm reading a lot of thought around this appointment. And, you know, I, I've i never, or it's, it's rare I've seen such a universally welcomed and like, duh, this was obviously the best coach. If you're going to headhunt the best coach, this is the coach to get in. Um, so I was reading Henry Bushnell in uh, Yahoo Sports today, and this line struck me. Perhaps her most important quality, though, is that she's utterly unafraid to push uncomfortable truths. She's a savvy coach, but also a potential disruptor who will soon take charge of a program that desperately needs disrupting. And while I I, I understand what Henry's saying there, um, ju- just to put to you that this isn't a team that likes uncomfortable truths. This isn't a bunch of players. I mean, these are superstar players, massive egos. Um, like, is there potential for this that the the brash kind of Londoner to come in and uh, and and meet resistance? I don't think so. It, it, you know, I think a lot is made of of the USA, and they've been in transition with a lot of maybe these older players, the veteran players moving on. And Vatko, the, the past head coach, maybe not being a big enough of a, of a personality. The general right, manager, yeah. Kate McGrath, got sacked as well after the World Cup. So there's going to be a director come in and working above Emma, which I think is important to, to kind of maybe be the buffer for some of those personality clashes. There will maybe be a redirecting of what sort of power Emma has. She's used to having a lot of power. She might be asked to stay in her lane a little bit more. But I actually think this is someone who's worked with the best players in the world. She's navigated their personalities absolutely fantastically at the club level. So I've got no fear of her going in there and, and chatting to egos. I think I think she's going to be great. The federation side, you know, all that kind of politics will be new, but there will be people working around her to, to help with some of that. You know, okay. it, it's interesting too, kind of along those lines. JJ and I spoke about this on our last pod a couple of days ago, but notably now she was writing for the Telegraph during the uh, Women's World Cup and said of this US team that they were, quote, massively short of creative talent. Um, I guess a, a two-pronged question. One, will that have ruffled any feathers? Will she be walking into a little bit of a hostile room given that she just publicly criticized this team only a few months ago in one of their lowest moments? And two, would you be a little bit surprised maybe that she would take a job of a team that she considered to be massively short in that area? 
if there was any time to ruffle the feathers, it was right now, is what I'd say about point one. <laughs> you know, this team has taken a beating in the press and everyone's had their say. So I don't think they're going to be worried about what Emma said. Um, they've taken a lot of criticism and they've had to swallow it. Uh, and what I'd say on the creative side, you know, there's the best young players in the world are playing for the US. We just haven't really seen them yet. Um, we've seen a few of them maybe creep in every now and then on squads, but the US has not fully made the most of its incredible, incredible young talent. And that includes creative players. And that is something Emma will have to do. The biggest one of them all has also was also out with an ACL injury during the World Cup. Katarina Macario plays for mm. Chelsea now. Emma is going to be very familiar with her work. And, and, you know, lads, in four years' time, I think she could be the player of the tournament when the USA win the World Cup under Emma Hayes. She is, she is that good. So it's not, it, it's about making the most of talent. It's not about the, the lack of talent. Last one for me on this, uh, um, Theo. If, if she has something she's got to do within, God, I sound like a, a, a political, the first 100 days. If there's if there's an issue with this team that she has to address immediately that you saw in the World Cup, what would it be? I think it's, 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 it is creativity. The midfield has been a huge, huge issue with, with the United States. They don't break down teams who sit back and they struggle to pass around the best teams as well. So that is going to be the biggest task. It's going to be making the most of, like I said, talented players, but maybe players who haven't been challenged to dictate on the ball and think outside the box and play in tight spaces and play with a pace and a momentum that we saw Spain were able to do. So that's going to be her biggest task is getting the ball movement right up to speed. And like I said, they can do it, but they haven't been tasked to do it. They've often, you know, out-muscled teams, out-pressed teams, out-progressed teams. Is, is, is there a danger? And I've seen this in a few international appointments. I think of Capello with England. I think of Martin O'Neill with Ireland. Um, now, I think Emma Hayes is ahead of them in terms of like her, her lifespan as a coach. She's still in the coaching sweet spot. But is there a danger that the game has moved so far beyond? Because like if you watched even the way Portugal played against the US in the drawn game. Fantastic technical team, Portugal, to be fair. Oh my but God. Yes. It looked a million, like light years away from what the US were doing. Is it? Is it? Is it a case that she's she's maybe entering at the wrong time for this program and maybe that the changes she needs to happen need to happen kind of now and that it would have been better maybe 10 years for her to take this job? I mean, is, is there the potential for just a clash of timing here? I, I definitely, you know, don't rule it out. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I believe in the talent. I believe in Emma. Okay. I don't share your, um, your hesitation. Uh, you know, the best coaches can make players play. Um, if you, and, okay. and if you've got the talent, which they do. Okay. So that's another bet from you. Uh, World yeah, the next no, World hold Cup. me to that one. All right. <laughs> well, good stuff. Theo Lloyd Hughes, uh, we look forward to uh, this weekend's NWSL final and we look forward to reading your coverage in the wake of it. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, our thanks to uh, to Theo Lloyd Hughes. Appreciate him giving us some time there. He's great. Uh, and so, like I said, read his stuff. Check him out on on X or Twitter at Theo Lloyd Hughes. He he covers uh, women's soccer here in the U.S. so well. So yeah, I appreciate him taking taking some time for what should be a, a very fun final this Saturday at eight o'clock. Uh, let's see, JJ. We go from NWSL playoffs to MLS playoffs. Uh, Philadelphia Union bounced. The New England Revolution last night, one nil. Um, not a great game. <laughs> not a great game. Uh, Harrell hit the post for the Union. McGlynn hit the post. Finally, the Union broke through. Um, but it, I mean, it was really Mark Anthony K. He stopped on Daniel Gazdag in the first half, near the end of the the first half. 
uh, VAR didn't, the referee didn't see it initially. VAR did. He had to go. Um, I've seen stomps that are worse, but I mean, do you split hairs for something like that? If it happens, it happens, and he's he's got to go. And uh, the Revs, to their credit, they did they challenged a little bit after that. Uh, the union did not look good, but over forty five minutes is hard to stand up with being down a man against a team like Philadelphia. And ultimately, uh, McGlynn put in a really nice ball on a free kick. Chris Donovan tapped it home, and that was all they needed. But that was only part of it. Afterwards, so the Rev season is now over, and it was a hmm. season that just. It just ended in just such spectacular fashion, in the worst possible way. Uh, they were second in the table before the League's Cup. Then all, I mean, all hell broke loose, of course, with Bruce Arena. He was put on first administrative leave for six weeks, and then ultimately he stepped away and resigned. Um, and Omar Gonzalez, uh, MLS veteran, spoke after the match, and he was pretty candid. You can listen to it. It's on Twitter the audio of it. Um, he tries to, he does. It's interesting to listen to him. Cause you can almost hear his like inner monologue. He, he so badly wants to say a lot of things, but at the end of it, he even says like, guys, I, I, I want to get a contract extension here. I, I got it. Like, and he kind of cuts it off. Cause he knows he's getting himself in trouble with the things yeah. that he's saying about the front office and management and the way that the, all of this stuff with Bruce arena was handled. And so he's, he's trying to police himself, but he so badly wants to be open and honest. So he gives you little glimpses. Um, you know, he says during one point of it, the turning point of the season is when Bruce got put on leave. There was no real leadership in the front uh, when the front office is in shambles, it trickles down to the team. Maybe we could have handled the arena situation within our our own HR department. Um, so Richie Williams, who's known Bruce Arena for a long time, and their relationship always seemed to be really good, he initially took over as the interim coach. And the players seemed to be distrustful of him. They refused to train. Uh, I, the story came out, we talked about it in the, in the moment, that it might have been his... Uh, it might have been Richie Williams himself who went and reported some of the language that Bruce Arena was had used and yeah. got Arena into the situation. Really, we never Arena know got, the specifics. We, we never, never got no, specific. No, it's really interesting. We don't really know what happened. So the staff was then reorganized. Williams was given some time off. The the Revolution released a statement where they seemed to really back him. Uh, it's not like I don't know that he was put on leave. They just kind of phrase it in. He, he was given time off. The players did not want to play for that guy. It seemed there seemed to be just unbelievable dysfunction in the front office. Like Omar Gonzalez said, that stuff trickles downhill and members of the coaching staff couldn't work together. Um, Gonzalez, he, he even goes on. To, he, he literally said this in his postgame comments. Those guys couldn't work together. Richie Williams, Charlie Joseph, Dave Vandenberg. They had a really bad relationship. They couldn't work together. That's why the club cleared house. Um, I mean, this stuff for a team that seemed like things were going good. I don't know that I thought like, were they better than FC Cincinnati? No, probably not, but they were second. Like they were near the top of the Eastern conference and for it all to just spiral uh, in, in the fashion that it did all beginning with Bruce arena, it's an incredible, I mean, it's a it's kind of a tragic MLS story for what could have been a good season. And, you know, a lot of people are going to place blame. I know the front office has taken a lot of heat. Um, I know the players seem to have Bruce Arena's back. At least, it, it's hard to tell. You're only hearing from certain guys, but it seems like the players are disappointed with the way this went. 
um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, Bruce Arena did these things. Like that is important to remember. You cannot like the way that it was handled. Right. Um, you know, I know, like Omar Gonzalez said, I, I wish that maybe this had been handled internally with HR rather than it going to the, becoming a league matter. Because once that happened, JJ, we know how these things go. It was the writing was always on the wall. He's going to lose his job. That's just how that's how this stuff happens. Um, teams and and the league isn't willing to handle the PR hit of that sort of stuff, so he's got to go. Um, but Bruce Arena said these things. It's also you know this is a Bruce Arena coaching staff that he assembled. I mean, they all hated each other, like there was that much dysfunction like he he does have to like i know the players liked him and the, and they're mad about the way that this went down but he has to own this like i don't think that we can just like absolve him and put push the blame to a uh, front office should have done it differently this should have been handled with an hr that bruce arena said and did these things and so like i don't want to just absolve him and and you know make it sound like it's everyone else's fault uh that this went the way that it did yeah i think what's interesting for me is um just how Bruce was initially this bastion of sustainability and, and, and calm. His signing brought that and he made them good very quickly after the debacle with Brad Friedel. I mean, we've all forgotten about that now. I know. Like they, they were just a mess and he came in and he got them a team straight to be a team that were very good in the regular season and, 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 and deep in the playoffs. And for it to end in spectacular dysfunction is not how I saw it going. It just, I did not see this coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting um, because it's like, maybe it always, maybe he's just that kind of combustible figure, like his U S men tenure. He's, he's maybe the greatest manager in the history of the U S men's national team. Not maybe, but he is with the success he had in Oh two. Um, but like, look at how that ended spectacular failure. Now look at his his club career in MLS. Now it may not be done. He may try to manage somewhere else. There's been talk about that, but for the for the moment, spectacular failure, huge yeah. controversy, total unraveling of a team. He's like, not coming back. Uh, not with them, but he may. You may. It wouldn't shock me. He's. It wouldn't totally shock me. Um, speaking he just of seems Bruce, a man out of time, though. Well, but but yes and no. If like yes in the in the sense of. Obviously, there's language he's using and there's ways that he's going about handling things behind the scenes that is inappropriate. It it cost him his job here. However, think of what else you just said here. Like, he got to the Revs and turned them from a disaster into maybe the best team in the league. Yeah, Um, in short order. Yeah, so he can still coach. He might just have to change a little bit of, you know, his players seem to back him in the midst of this, but there might be some other issues where Bruce is maybe... um, maybe a little rough around the edges that he needs to clean some of that stuff up. Cause it sounds like he, it sounds, I mean, this wouldn't happen by accident. It sounds like he makes some people uncomfortable in a way that is, is not appropriate for a workplace. So he's, he might have to change his ways. Speaking of him, JJ, I listened to part two of Landon Donovan on kicking it. I got to say, I mean, we're not, we have no deal with them. This is just purely as a, a podcast consumer. Yeah. If you're an, if you're an American soccer fan, those episodes I mean, that show in general is excellent, but those episodes with Donovan, if you're a U.S. fan, it's that's like mandatory listening. It is so good. It is so damn good. You have you have got to listen to the two episodes that he's on. But in it, it's really interesting because uh, Clint Dempsey, he seems to be one of these guys who was not in love with Bruce Arena. Um, he said about him, he said, I just felt like I was never his guy. 
And then like to, then Landon Donovan, I guess, was. And so to Landon Clint says about Donovan's relationship with Bruce, he said, he said, you were like a son to him. I was like a damn foster kid. <laughs> was wow. I, I see. I wouldn't have thought that, but I suppose the the links forged while he was manager of of the Galaxy. I mean, we forget Bruce was the manager of that Galaxy team with yeah. with Beckham and with with Keane and with um mm-hmm. and with Landon Donovan. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. It's it. The one thing I love is the clips that they're putting out are very very good. But you should listen to the whole thing. It's. It's really good. It's really good conversations. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a fun listen. So I should say too, also while we're t- before we get off of the union revolution, Kai Wagner, uh, Kai, he in the end he was suspended for three games. He had, he admitted to having used inappropriate language towards Bobby Wood. Um, so wow. again, totally, you know, like we're talking about Bruce Arena and how this could be a, an awkward ending for a proud career. I mean, Kai Wagner is one of the the great players in the history of, of the Philadelphia union. They said, he's not coming back. We'll see how far this goes for the union. But I mean, you talk about a hideous way for a, a really well, proud tenure uh, and career for well, a player with a certain club to end. I mean, this is disgraceful. He can't go to another MLS team now, right? Well, he'll be, so depending on if he does, his suspension will carry over. Um, But you just mean from an optics standpoint, I mean, it's not optics. You can't have someone who uses ra- racial epithets uh, to abuse people in football. I would agree, but I mean, like, yeah, it's it. Like I said, it's hideous. Um, whether or not that means I mean, he can no, he can no longer. I mean, look, Dante Van Zier came back. Um, I'm not saying he it, never plays gonna, football it's again, but be like up the to league... a team as to whether or not they're willing to. Each team can decide, I guess, if they're willing to have that. I don't think. I wouldn't want it on my team. Um, it'll be if if the union do make a run and he does come back, it will feel weird. Um, kind of supporting a guy who had only just done that. Um, I I I think it. So, I mean, we have to think about ah, this country, race, this league, the way it's dealt with issues before in the past. Um, there's a lot of supporter groups just won't have him, won't have him. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I just wanted to mention to Columbus crew, Atlanta United FC, we knew that this had potential to be open and fun. And boy, did we get that in game two, four to the final Atlanta do go on and force that third game that uh, we felt was in the, was a, a likely uh, outcome. Um, you know, seeing Tiago Amada back on the side, he scored the fourth to kind of put the, the finishing touches on this one. What a little beautiful chip, but I, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, this this was always this was the one that I had circled, and now they get the decisive third game. Um, Atlanta looked so good in that second game with Almada back. Uh, Yakamakis is such a great player up front for them. He's the best. He's the best signing the, in MLS in a long time. He, he really he's, is. He's had a spectacular season, and he was so good in this in game two of this series. Um, if, if I know it's going back to Columbus, I know they they play well there. They're great in attack as well. Cucho Hernandez scored a great goal in this game. If I had to pick, I'd say Atlanta right now. But I think Atlanta too. Too much firepower. Yeah, but uh, really, I mean, we knew it would be fun, and it has it has been fun. And I hope Game Three, I hope it's just as much fun as as what it's been so far. Uh, finally, JJ close out with a couple uh, comments from the animals. Um, Der- uh, this was from Derek Onions on the Reddit page. Uh, in the wake of the Tottenham Chelsea VAR conversation, he said, my solution to the VAR problem 
is automated offside like the World Cup, and all replays are just full speed. They get all the camera angles they want, but just full speed replays. Would that help? Is that an answer for you? No. Um, automated, the the Champions League uh, offsides, the way they do that, yeah, I'd have that semi-automated. Um, and then the full speed replays, no. No? No VAR. A VAR is done for me in the bin. Okay. Hasn't worked. Get rid of it. All right, fair enough. It's and made then things, uh, it's made things worse. Exactly how I I said five six years ago it would. That's what we're seeing now. So well, there I you go. I don't know if I fully agree. Don't know if I want no, to get into that you, conversation. I mean, you you listen to me say it. I don't. I'm not going over it again. I was uh, right. You were wrong. Get I will now see. Now you're gonna now you're gonna do something and you're gonna create an issue here because that's that I don't. Anyway, all right. From you uh, gave this, it a go. It's stop, that's it. Stop. Uh, this is from Tasso sixty four. Oh. As um, so you had said that you would, you asked me, you said you'd rip an arm off to finish fourth at Copa America. I believe was yeah. the quote. He mm-hmm. says this. He says the U.S. came in fourth in their last Copa America, uh, which is which was pretty easy. Jesus. Definitely wouldn't rip my arm off for fourth again. Kind of hoping for a big win or draw against one of the big four from South America or a win over Mexico, which is exactly what they did in 1995. Does this guy just not know what happened in 1995? So they they went in, they came in they uh, into Uruguay. They beat Chile in the first game. A Chile that may not have been as strong as the 98 version, but a Chile that could still boast a 20-year-old Marcelo Salas, Chile's greatest striker. They well, lose to Bolivia, well, hold, which was hold, hold, a much... I, hold on, hold on. I have to stop you for a sec. What? Well, that, that's not what he's referring to. What is he on about? 2016. The last Copa America that the U.S. were in is what he says They when they finished fourth. Oh, I thought he was on about 95, which I was no. talking about. No, he's talking about 2016. The U.S. lost uh, in the third place game to Colombia, and they finished fourth when Chile beat Argentina on penalties. The Centenario. Honestly, that's, I, and I remember us, we did a, we were, we went live on ESPN New York the night they played Argentina. Do you remember that? We were on Rothenberg's show mm-hmm. um, to talk about it. Uh, they got such a beating, and they only beat, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, so, I don't. So I think I, he makes a kind of a good point. Like, they, the U.S. finished fourth in that Copa America, but it didn't feel glorious. So no, nothing, I, I, not, right. not at all. Yeah, so that's no, what I'm. That's what he's saying is like, no, I'm well, not ripping take, my arm off for that experience again. I want to try tell to, you, I, I agree with him on that. If it played out that way, you would not. Um, I had forgotten completely about that. <laughs> completely about Copa America the Centenario that's how much I remember getting back really late that night after watching I mean Jurgen picked the stupidest team against Argentina like the dumbest 4-4-2 with like Wondolowski up front or something like that I mean it was lucky it wasn't 7-0 ah yeah, yeah no, like, like the, the US yeah well, I mean they, they lost to Colombia in the group stage but then they beat Costa Rica and Paraguay um, then in yeah, the that's nothing, and then in, they bet Ecuador, wasn't right, it? Right, they beat Ecuador two one in the round of sixteen. Then got absolutely, or the quarterfinals, I mean, then got absolutely demolished by Argentina in the semis, yeah. and yeah, then yeah, lost yeah. to Colombia okay, in the third. So like that's what fair what, point. But so I'm in the middle of the ninety five team. So like, just yeah. let me finish my thought on ninety five because sure. there is a way to do this with glory. They lost to Bolivia in the group stage, much better side in that era. Um, uh, then they had to beat Argentina, and they did. And Argentina played a weaker side, but uh, um, um, Ayala, Ortego, Simeone, uh, Simeone, Gallardo, Batistuta, all featured in that game. 
that was still a, a clutch, brilliant Argentinian team. Um, and uh, and and to beat them three 0 was was amazing. They then went, they beat Mexico on penalties, and then lost one, only lost one nil to Brazil. So like that was that's a way that's a glorious fourth. Now they got pumped in the in the playoff game for uh, third and fourth place. Yeah, they got hammered by Colombia. But so what? This um, explains so much because before the pod, to yeah, take people yeah, behind yeah. the curtain, you no. were like. I can't wait to get to that email. Oh, do I disagree? And you said I'd forgotten about 2016. And I was, and I said to you, I was like, well, I don't know if I agree with you on that. And I said, maybe this will be a fun conversation. You said something about 95. And I was like, oh, okay. But that like, it it wasn't until you started speaking where it hit me that you you forgot that 2016 happened. Misread the email. (laughs) <laughs> and because I'm still in the middle of Roger Bennett's podcast, all I'm yeah. thinking about is 1995, 1996, 97, those years. That's all I can think about. And you came Martin in like Infid- a bat out of hell. You wanted to fight yeah. him. Yeah. And you, you uh, were yeah. fighting the wrong opponent. Yeah. Um, I should just say the the United States team that, that beat Argentina in 95, Keller and Gold, Dooley, Balboa, Caligiuri, Lalas, Harkson Jones, Clopas, Moore, Stewart, and Winalda. Mike Burns off the bench, Tab Ramos off the bench. Mm. Decent team. Decent team. Off yeah. the bench for Argentina, Diego Simeone, Ariel Ortega, Abel Balbo. Bloody good team. Bloody good team. Yeah. Um yeah, so uh so no, I got it wrong. Uh I got it wrong. My brain is trapped in 1995. My my thoughts are with the infidelity of John Harks. Oh my um, that's, okay. that's where I'm at. Jeez, Louise. Uh, yeah, I should. I will say I'm not ripping my arm off to finish fourth. I'm, I'm not going to do. That. I I, th- I want to see if this team can. If it's can like do the better. fourth that I la- laid out, yeah, you are. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. so there you go. That's me. I can't read, <laughs> and I got carried away. So there you go. Yep. Uh, well, hey, this was fun. I enjoyed oh, this thoroughly. Wait, 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 wait a second, Andrew. It's time to start uh, building slowly but surely up. You've seen the pod merch. How excited are you are a scale of one to erect? I can say now, um, after months of uncertainty, uh, it feel it's starting to feel real now. I've seen the actual samples, and I think, I think that within the next couple of weeks, announcements will be made. Are you proud of me? I am proud of you. I think you've done a you've done fine work here. By the way, I, Michael Bergman again, just unbelievable, helpful. Oh, so he was he was center to this. He's he's helping me out. Uh, uh, yeah, he's been centered to all of it. The rebrand, the whole thing. You wow. just forget about him like that. Wow, sick. Uh, no, I have not forgotten about him at all. Um, I knew he was part of the rebrand of the logo. I didn't know that he was also helping to make the shirts. That's amazing. He's not helping to he's helping with me me with the design. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, you can just take credit away from me. Just disgust me. Hey, if it was you, we'd be, I mean, Jesus, they'd be just, they'd never happen, basically. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, because I don't make promises that I can't keep. So I just would never. Well, well can we stay positive for f- sake? I can't wait that for these things to be worn around the nation. Yes. They they really are nice. Um, there's a variety of colors. And I think within the next couple of weeks, um, because I, I'd like this to happen around the holiday season. It feels that feels appropriate. Feels like the right time. So be on the lookout. Be listening to the pod where we'll have future announcements, and hopefully you can be gifting 
caught offside merch to everyone all across uh, these great 50 states and beyond and beyond. Uh, yeah, JJ, I can't wait to see people wearing them to like family events, wearing them uh, on dates, yeah, uh, wearing them to the gym, wearing them running across America. It's it's I'm so pumped and across Australia as well. And maybe yeah. um, uh, maybe Norway, too. Sure. All those places, every place and Iceland, every place. Uh, hey, this this was fun. I hope and everybody Ireland. out there has a, a great week. And thanks again to all the veterans. Uh, happy Veterans Day. Um we appreciate you guys all so, so very much. JJ, to you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.